Um, would you turn to Matthew 26? Uh, are you guys ready to dig into the word today? We are going to cover uh, uh, passages of scripture as we uh, finish our series in the gospel of Matthew that we are calling King Jesus. Um, the passages that we are going to read, uh, study, ponder on today and the next two weeks as we uh, finish up uh, this series, uh, truly, uh, I believe, is an invitation for you to come into the Holy of Holies, which is the very presence of God. Uh, when um, the Apostle Paul uh, was speaking about his testimony, his story, uh, and writing to the church in Galatia, he said these words, that he loved me. And he gave himself for me. It's, it was personal. This is a personal uh, invitation for us to be transformed by the love uh, that Jesus has for us. And so I pray that the living word of God, that the living story of the gospel of the kingdom will break through to all of us in a real personal and fresh way. Not just today, but as we uh, continue to um, finish the Gospel of Matthew. I want to give you some context things uh, before we get to Matthew 26 that will really help us uh, grab onto the story, uh, I hope, in a fresh way um, for us today. Uh, before Jesus came, uh, Israel, God's people Israel, the Jewish people, were under a covenant with God that's known as the Old Covenant of Law. And so when Jesus came onto the scene in Israel in his lifetime, in his ministry, Israel was operating under the old covenant of law. And here's a, a reality of what that meant for the Jewish people operating under the old covenant of law. Hebrews 10, 11. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs, perform, perform, Okay, important word there, religious duties, perform religious duties, do, do the duties, re, re, perform every day, every day, every day, again and again, and he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They would offer sacrifices at the temple and the priests would stand day after day and they would have these temple sacrifices and they, they didn't have the power to take away sin, but it was the covenant that they were in with God that there was a covering for sin. There was forgiveness because of a covering for sin. That's the old covenant reality of how people uh, had relationship with God through the temple and through these daily sacrifices. Uh, the Jewish people had lots of, of annual feasts that they would uh, commemorate and celebrate every single year. And one of the primary, if not the primary feast that they would uh, celebrate and enjoy every single year was known as the Passover feast. And if you want to read this story in its original context, Exodus 7 to 11, uh, it, um, the Hebrew people had been in Egypt for, uh, for hundreds of years. Think the story of Joseph. Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? And he, his brothers sold him out and he went to Egypt and the famine in the land and all the brothers went and Joseph was there and uh, Joseph was the number two person in all of the land. And as the generations went on, God's people that had been multiplied there became captive. They became slaves to Pharaoh, to Egypt. And so it was time in God's timing for God's people to be liberated. 
and the Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so God began to send plagues on the Pharaoh and on Egypt to have his people be set free. How many plagues did God send? Bible, Bible trivia, how many? Kenny, come on. Bible scholar, seven, close. How many, ten, how many, how many ten commandments are there? There are ten. There are ten. Ten plagues. Plague after plague after plague. Hardened heart, hardened heart, hardened heart. Here's the last plague. The last plague was very intense. A judgment on Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt would die. The tenth plague. Exodus chapter 12 then begins to describe all of the details of what became the Passover. And I just want to read two verses for those of you who may not know this context. Exodus 12, 12 and 13. On that same night, that same night of the Passover, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn son of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Pass over. No destructive plague specific to the 10th plague that every firstborn son, people and animal will die. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The blood that's painted over the doorpost of your home, I will pass over. The blood of a what? They had to sacrifice what animal? A lamb. They would sacrifice the lamb. They would paint the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And then part of the feast is they would, they would eat the lamb for their own sustenance, for the journey ahead out of Egypt. So the blood is the blood of a lamb sacrifice. And every single year, the Jewish people would celebrate the Passover. Matthew 26, where we are today, it's Jerusalem. It's Passover. We have talked about this earlier in the Matthew series. If you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And many, many other pilgrims from all over Jerusalem would also come. Jerusalem was packed with people celebrating the Passover feast, the same feast that the Jews were commanded to eat in the very first Passover generations upon generations upon generations before. Here's the command in Exodus 12. This day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And it was time for Passover. It is Tuesday as we, be, as we get into chapter 26. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. He's just given the disciples last week's message, the famous Olivet Discourse of what will happen in the eschaton or the end or the end times prophecy of Jesus returning. So it's Tuesday before Good Friday. It's Tuesday before 
Thursday, which is the Passover, and Jesus will continue to engage with his disciples. And here's the big change contextually that I want us to grab onto uh, this morning before we get to the text. The old covenant of the law is going away. And the new covenant of grace is being inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. Think John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Jesus' first cousin, he was the herald of Jesus. And John the Baptist's message was, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Passover, many, many lambs. And the priests would get up every day and offer the same sacrifice day after day, which can never take away. Jesus, our Passover lamb, one lamb, one sacrifice, who his blood has the power not to just cover sin, but to take it away. And God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers our sin no more. Hallelujah. That's the transition that's happening. This is so significant theologically for us to grab onto. Here's a couple of verses out of Hebrews again to help us grab onto this. Without the shedding of blood at the first Passover, Exodus 12, there would be no deliverance for that family. But if you were a family in a home and you had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your home, you were delivered, you were saved. New covenant, Hebrews 9, without the shedding of blood of our Passover lamb, one lamb, there is no forgiveness. We need a sacrificial lamb so that we can live and be delivered. Hebrews 10.10, here's a big transition from old covenant daily, day after day, day after day, day after day, to new covenant. Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy. We have been made have been made, past tense. There's no longer daily sacrifices necessary for a covering of sin. In Jesus, our one sacrificial Passover lamb, we have been made holy, not because we've done anything to be made holy, but because Jesus has done everything and gives us his righteousness and holiness. So it's a huge transition through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, really important, once for all, once for all for all. So here's the context that I want us to hold as we come into Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read uh, through verse uh, 46 today and just take a little bit as a, at a time as we work, as we work through this uh, together. So Matthew 26, 1 to 5, as we get started. If you'll read along with me. It's Tuesday. They're on the Mount of Olives. Tuesday before Good Friday, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the Olivet Discourse, which is chapter 23, 24, and 25, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. What's two days away from Tuesday? Thursday. What happens on Thursday before Good Friday with Jesus and his disciples? What do they, they go to the what? It's become famously known as? The Last Supper, okay? Important, hold on to that, hold on to that. When he had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, Thursday, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people 
assembled in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas. And they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. Verse 5, but not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Context. What did the Jewish people, when they celebrated the Passover every year, what animal did they consume? A lamb, which is the same reality as the very first Passover back in Exodus chapter 12. Again, John the Baptist, transition, Jesus is our Passover lamb. Uh, The animal's uh, sacrifices can never take away sin, but the sacrifice of Jesus takes it all away. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. By one sacrifice, Jesu. It should say Jesus. I'm not, that's just a total mistake on my part, uh, but there you go. Um, by one sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. If you're not picking this up yet, Hebrews chapter 10 is a really, really important chapter to understand New Covenant theology and the transition from the Old Covenant of Law to the New Covenant of Grace. I would highly encourage you to read, study, know Hebrews chapter 10. What I want to note uh, in these first five verses is the murderous plot that is brewing in the story. And in their little minds, And in their little plans, they had determined that they would not kill Jesus during the Passover feast. So many people were there, and they were afraid that there would be an uprising or a riot among the people. And it's funny to me, really, thinking about it. It's funny to me that in their little minds, they were determining how this would all go down with the creator of the entire world and everything in it. Colossians chapter 1. But Jesus says this. He says, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. When? On the Passover. Why? Because he is our Passover lamb. God had ordained that Jesus would be crucified during the Passover feast, and it would be so, because he is our Passover lamb. Next verses, 6 to 16, let's continue on in the story. Um, They move from the Mount of Olives to a town called Bethany, which is kind of on the other side of the Mount of Olives, away from the temple. And while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, who was healed of his leprosy by Jesus, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. It was inappropriate. It was It was so extravagant, it was offensive to them, what she was doing. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering 
this woman. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, whatever, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And then one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 silver coins. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Um, for some reason, and I don't know the reason why, but Matthew doesn't tell us that this woman is Mary, the mother of Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead in John 11. But I'm thankful for four Gospels because all four Gospels give us, gives us a, a robust um, visual understanding into the story. And John 12 explains that the woman that did this, that did this extravagant thing, is Mary. A year's worth of wages. Now, whatever you make in your job, some of us have higher income than others, but no matter where you land on that spectrum, like buying a thing of perfume that's going to cost you everything you've made in a whole year, that's a little tough to stomach. Would you agree with that? Like that is like extreme, like, I mean, I think it's like we look at the disciples and they're like, oh, but I'm just like, we, we need to hold how extravagant this was. A year's worth of wages. Um, descriptor. Uh, descriptor words of what we see in the story, like worship, uh, humility, generosity, service. Um, they use these kinds of perfumes to, um, oh, what's the word? I always forget, embalming the wealthy. That's what she was doing. And so I, I think for me, and this week, and I'm studying this, I'm like, the word really here. For this woman, yes, it's extravagant. Yes, it's full of faith. Yes, it's humble. Yes, it's worship. But the, the, word, the word here is her faith. She was preparing Jesus for his burial. Why? Because she believed him. She believed what was about to happen. And she is preparing her Lord for his death. It is, it is, it is unbelievable. His enemies were plotting for his death. They were, they were plotting for his death, and Mary was preparing for his death by her faith. And how does Jesus honor Mary? He says, where this gospel is preached, what she has done will also always be told. And so I just speak the name and honor the memory and the faith of Mary in this house today for what she did in this city two days before Jesus would go to the cross. We juxtapose that with Judas. We have Mary and we have Judas Iscariot. Um, it's interesting, in the chronology of this story, 
I don't have too much time to unpack this, but Matthew actually takes us a little bit back in time uh, in the story. And I think he does it to help us kind of set up what was going down with Judas and his betrayal. John chapter 12 explains that this story, this scene in Bethany at this home actually happened six days before the Passover, which means it actually happened before Jesus came in on Sunday. So he's kind of going back in time a little bit in the story to help us see what, how it transpired even before Jesus' uh, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Uh, perhaps one commentator said, perhaps Matthew does this to show how Jesus' rebuke of Judas triggered his betrayal. Matthew doesn't tell us it's specific to Judas, but again, John, John does. I'm going to fast forward. Let me read you how John describes the story. Um, I think Matthew's like, you know what, it was Judas, but really all of us were indignant. We were all kind of tripping, honestly, about how she spent a year's worth of her wages to like do this. But John's like, but it was Judas that was, was something going on with Judas. This is, this is how John describes the story, John 12, 4, 4 to 8. He says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Objected to what? Objected to Mary and her faith and her worship. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was a, a worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So I am sure that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were pretty excited that they had someone in Jesus' inner circle so that they could kill him by stealth because they don't want an uprising of the people. So I'm sure that they were excited about this because they had Judas now. And so Judas goes to meet with them and they gave him uh, how many pieces of silver? It's right there on the screen, yeah. I did this last service too. Gosh, I gotta do a better work on my screens. 30 pieces of silver. Have you ever, have you ever wondered why it was 30 pieces? Like, some people know, like, it's 30 pieces. In Zechariah 14, there's a prophecy about 30 pieces of silver and a potter's field. All that, all that comes true. But here's something that I learned this week that I had never learned before. I'm just like, wow, I'm almost 49 years old, and I've been in this scripture for a long time, and I'd never, I've never heard this before. I wonder if you've heard this before. 30 pieces of silver was the price of a modern-day slave. That's what they offered. Like they saw Jesus as a, as a slave, as a scoundrel. And it wasn't a whole lot of money. Like one thing I read this week is like in, in like today's money, 30 pieces of silver then was probably around like 100 to 400 bucks. Right? That's just how, that's the low view that they had for Jesus. But then my, my mind went to like, Oh, when, when Jesus like started his ministry, Luke chapter four, he goes to a synagogue, he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61 
And in the prophecy of Isaiah, it says that the Messiah would come and set captives free. And what did Jesus become in this moment to set us free? He became a captive himself. He became a slave. He became a captive so that we could be set free of our captivity. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Mary spends a year's worth of wages to anoint him because she believed him. And Judah sells him out for 30 pieces of silver because he sees him as a slave. 17 to 25. Oh, I'm in John. I'm like, that doesn't look right. On the first day of the feast of the unleavened bread. Let me pause there. So at the end of 16, that's the end of Tuesday. At the end of 16 on the Mount of Olives, that's the end of Tuesday. We don't know what happened on Wednesday. The script, there's, scripture doesn't tell us. Uh, if you go digging and reading about that, some, they, they'll call it like Holy Wednesday. We don't know the scripture. God has, in his sovereignty, has not revealed Wednesday to us. But now we are on Thursday. Why do we know it's Thursday? Because on Tuesday, Jesus said, in two days is going to be the what? What feast? The Passover feast. So now it's Thursday, and let's read this together. So keep all this in context. So the story comes alive in our minds. And we're not just reading this, but we're like seeing the story happen. On the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, Thursday, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover, the same Passover that the Jewish people celebrated and ate every single year since Exodus 12. That's what the disciples were preparing for Jesus, and that's what Jesus told them to go prepare. And when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, and they were eating. What were they eating? The Passover. And he said, I'll tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him one after another, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas... In the chronology, then Judas, what had Judas already done? He had the money. He already had the money. So he's there. He's hearing this. He's like, oh, snap. He knows. But he's trying, like if you've ever been busted before in your life, like, you know, and you don't want to be busted, like our, we're, we're going to try to spin this. So it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to get, in, you know, like... Can you imagine the emotion that was overwhelming Judas in this moment when he knows that Jesus knows? And then Judas, the one who betrayed him, said, surely not I, Rabbi? And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. Um, the Passover feast 
that the disciples and Jesus ate together two things. The death of the lamb provided deliverance from the judgment of God on Egypt. They were celebrating the deliverance of God's people because of the Passover lamb. And then go back to the first Passover. They put the blood over their doorpost and they consumed the lamb. So it was sustenance for their own lives. The very next day, where would they go? What would they do? What did the ancient Hebrew people do the very next day after the Passover happened? Moses leads them where? Out of Egypt to the shore of what? The Red Sea, so that they could what? Go all the way across it. Now, I like to hike in the mountains, and that's a lot of miles and a lot of, a lot of elevation. I don't know what it was like to cross through the, the Red Sea or how long necessarily was, but I got to think it, that, that was not easy. That was not easy. By the way, do you, um, do you know that the call of God on them before they crossed the Red Sea was they weren't going to stand on the shore, and then the sea just parted for them? You know what had to happen before the sea got parted? Their feet had to get wet. Do you believe me? Do you really believe me? Mary, Mary did. Mary did just like Moses led them through. They needed the lamb to give them sustenance for a life. The feast, you just, we have to know, we have to try to grab this. The Passover feast was huge for the Jewish people. People were everywhere in Jerusalem. Remember verse 5, the religious leaders did not want to arrest Jesus during the feast. But what does Jesus do in, this, in what we just read? He forces the hand of Judas. And he did it this way. What you are about to do, do quickly. Why? Because God's sovereignty said that our Passover lamb was going to happen during the Passover. So he forces Judas's hand. Religion would say, we're not doing this at the feast. And God says, it's happening during the feast. Jesus would fulfill all of the spiritual meaning of the Passover, our Passover lamb. Paul says this, who is Jewish about Jesus, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. This would go the way God has chosen it to go. And then we get into the Lord's Supper. They had already had the Passover meal. And the transition is now moving from Passover to what has become famously known as the Last Supper. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. You guys, this was new. This was new. This was not the Passover feast that they knew as Jewish followers, right? This was new. Jesus was doing something for the very first time that they had never experienced before. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says these words, this is my body. Give thanks, broke it, take and eat. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the many 
for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now, from that day, that Thursday, until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's house. He is prophetically speaking about what? When I drink it with you anew, he's talking about what? Come on, you guys know the answer to this. What is it? When he comes again. Second coming. Second coming. That's what he's talking about here. Last Supper. There is no doubt that the Last Supper of Jesus represented this whole reality. They were having the Passover feast. And there is a clear transition from the old covenant of law, Passover feast, to the new covenant of grace, Last Supper, Holy Communion. There's a transition happening in the upper room in Jerusalem on this particular evening. Communion is encountering the presence of Jesus, being reaffirmed again of his forgiveness and his love. And we receive spiritual strength as we drink it and as we eat. Just like the original Hebrew people celebrated the blood of the lamb for their deliverance and they ate the lamb for their sustenance, for their strength. We today in the last supper in the new covenant come to the Lord's table to receive his body, the bread and his blood, the wine for our reaffirmation that we are forgiven, that we have been declared righteous because of Jesus. We've been declared holy because of Jesus. And when we come to the Lord's table, we literally get to come into the holy of holies and experience his presence. It's powerful. It's powerful. You still with me? Can you imagine what was happening in the emotional state of the disciples when this is all happening in Jerusalem? He's like, I'm going to be crucified. There's a betrayal. All that. Can you imagine like Mary, the whole scene with Mary two days before? Like, and it's interesting what they do next. And I just go, man, when we get out of sorts emotionally, there's something that Jesus does with his disciples here that's just simple but powerful, and it's this. And when they had sung a hymn, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Could we bring that slide, um, next slide up? I, maybe I can do that. Yeah, oh, sorry. Sorry, Jack. They were here, and they went back here. Here's Mary. That's where that happened on Tuesday. Now it's here, Last Supper. And before they went out to the Mount of Olives, after the Last Supper, they had sung a hymn. Don't you wish you knew what they sang? There is, you know, Psalm 115 to 118 is um, hymn songs that some commentators, scholars believe that they may have sung. So if you want to go back and read Psalm 115 to 118 later. But the scriptures don't tell us exactly what they sang. I just think it's pretty profound to go like Jesus was singing with his disciples. There's something about music that has a way of like uniting us and settling our spirits, filling us with God's spirit. Would you agree with that? Because if you were here last Sunday, that last song we sang like a thin veil, right? It's just there's something about like being, Jesus was singing 
with his disciples, infusing faith into them. This is getting real. This is getting real. They go to the Mount of Olives, uh, Bible trivia, uh, Acts chapter 1. Where was Jesus when he ascended to heaven? He was right there. Zechariah 14, when Jesus comes back in his second coming and his feet land on the earth, do you know where his feet are going to land? Right there on the Mount of Olives. Do you see what's just below the Mount of Olives? The Garden of Gethsemane. What night is it in our scripture? Where are we? What night are we? Somebody tell me. Thursday night. It's all getting real. I got one more page. Y'all with me? Okay, here we go. Matthew 26, 31 to 35. And we'll, we'll, um, oh, Peter. Oh, this is Peter. Peter. Then Jesus told them, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even after I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. I love Peter. He just, he can't hardly help himself sometimes. Like over-promise, under-deliver, right? Like wants to believe he's got maybe a more rooted faith than than he really does. But what I love about the story of Peter is how gracious Jesus is with Peter over and over and over again. Following Jesus is not about perfection, church. It's about, it's about faith. And in the process of faith, Jesus is so gracious beyond your wildest imaginations. Luke 22 says this. We don't get this context in Matthew, but in Luke 22, the same story, Jesus says this to Peter. I have prayed for you, singular. I've prayed for you, Peter, so that your faith may not fail. It's very personal. And then in our uh, context, in Matthew 26, he says, I will rise and I will go meet with you in Galilee. Where's Peter from? Galilee. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to go back to where this all started in your hometown. It's so personal. Grace is so personal. Peter would see Jesus after his famous denial, three-time denial. We're going to get into the Gethsemane story uh, last of the day, but I want to, um, let's show that video. I want to give you, I was in Israel in 2019. Uh, Kyle up in, or yeah, he's up there. Kyle was up there in the booth. Jackson was a number of us from our church. So I want to watch this video. And this will give you a context before we play it, if we could rewind it maybe for start it again. Uh, this is, we are on the um, Jerusalem side, on the temple side, and we're going down down in the Kidron Valley, and what you're going to see in the video as we're coming up is I'm going to pan it over to the right, and you're going to see the Mount of Olives, and up ahead of the video is the Garden of Gethsemane. So that's, that's what I want you to see in this video. Okay. 
We're currently walking down into the Kidron Valley. Looking up, that's the Mount of Olives. Tombs of Zechariah, supposedly. It's very hot. Very, very hot. Olive trees down at the base. The temple is up to my left as we're walking down. Kidron Valley that goes down into the city of David. There are the homies coming down. And then the next picture. Here's the context. As we read, as we read this story that I want you to understand. Um, you can see... In this, these pictures were taken inside the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can see right there, that's, that's the temple. It's literally, it's just like right there. And Caiaphas' house is down the Kedron Valley to the left. And here's what I want to point out to you in this. As before we read this passage. Um, the Jewish festival of Passover is held on the 15th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. Here's what that means. It's a lunar month that's determined by the moon's phases. Here's what you need to grab onto. The Passover always happens when there's a full moon. So if you've ever been hiking in Colorado on a full moon night, do you need a headlamp? You do not. It's visible. And the other thing that I want you to recognize in this is you, when, you're, when you're literally in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're looking down the Kedron Valley, down to your left, the temple is right here, down to your left, that's Caiaphas' house. So it's a full moon, and you can see Caiaphas' house. So when they were coming to Jesus to arrest him, you can see them coming. You can see the torches that were lit. And so what we're going to read about is what Jesus was experiencing in his humanity as he saw this is about to happen in the next few moments. So I just want you to feel that as we read these um, next verses. So Matthew 26, 36 to 46, and this is where we'll stop today. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, which is also known as the Garden of the Oil Press. Olive trees. Then Jesus went with the disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground. And he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping to the three. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Full surrender to the father's will. 
And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. May your will be done. And then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. Look, open your eyes. Look, it's a full moon. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see them coming. Look, open your eyes. Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise and let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Here comes Judas. Um, there's a, a commentator said this about the humanity of Jesus and what he was experiencing in this moment. He said, Jesus experienced the worst agony in anticipation of suffering and the worst agony of temptation to avoid it through which humanity had ever passed. And there's two things that I want to point out here as we close. Worship team, you guys can come back. His loneliness in his humanity, the full emotion of his loneliness. Three times he arose from prayer to go get support, help from his three closest friends. And every single time they were dead asleep. So if you've ever been lonely, you have Jesus who empathizes and meets you in that place. Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. So if you're lonely, if you've been lonely, you have a high priest who empathizes and can meet with you there. And secondly, he was overwhelmed with sorrow at Gethsemane. And Gethsemane, in his humanity, he was facing the cup of the cross. When he says, Father, may this cup pass from me, it's the cup of suffering. It's the cup of the cross. It's the cup that Jesus would need to drink the full justice of God. The wrath of God on the sin and the evil of the whole world. Not only the cross would not be only indescribable physical suffering, but also experiencing the forsaking of his father. In his heart, ultimately, I will trust you. And I will go all the way. Not my will, but your will be done. And so I pray that in our loneliness... And when we feel overwhelmed with sorrow in our lives, that we would know that Jesus has already been there and that he is with us in it as we pass through those realities in our whole lives. Luke 22, listen to what the Father did in this moment. When Jesus was offering these prayers, it says that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. The Lamb of God, strengthened by the Father to be our sacrificial lamb, our slave, so that you could be free, his death, so that you could live. God never leaves us in our loneliness, and we are overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus always intercedes for us. He always intercedes for us. And when we are weak and struggling, he prays. It's so personal, just like to Peter. I prayed for you so that your faith may not fail, that you would stand firm in the faith 
even when you're lonely, even when you feel overwhelmed with sorrow, that you would know that God never leaves us alone in our loneliness and in our overwhelming places. And Jesus is always meeting us there by the power of his spirit. God never wastes our suffering. And Jesus always redeems, always restores, and always brings healing to our lives. And he was willing to go all the way so that we could be saved. Hallelujah. And he's left us not with the Passover feast. He's left us with holy communion. And we're going to take that now as a church family as we sing this song called Abide. When you're ready, it's the body of Jesus broken for you. It's the blood of Jesus shed for you. Have an encounter with his presence today. Like linger. Let the words come over you. Let the scripture come over you. Be overwhelmed with gratitude as you take the body and the blood of Jesus and receive and be strengthened in your spirits as you receive the communion for you. And then we're going to do something kind of special. Um, If you are a parent in the room and you have kids over there, um, take communion and then if you want to, you're invited to go get your kiddos and bring them back in here. Middle school kids too, bring them back in here. And we're going to sing a song called The Blessing. And then there's a pastor choice from today that's called No Longer Slaves because we are no longer slaves. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And as a church family, we're going to celebrate. I know we're going a little long. It's a little warm. It's okay. Let's enjoy being in the presence of God. If you need prayer, there's going to be prayer team in the back. Go speak with them. They love you. They want to minister to you. Uh, That's available during this time as well. So let's receive the Holy Communion during this song. And let's worship as a family together. Uh, in our time left this morning. Amen.